Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Aha. Hello fellow foodies, I'm Susie White and welcome to episode 14 of the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. In this podcast, I talk with food entrepreneurs, innovators and startups to get behind the scenes and find out what they're doing to build their businesses and make a mark on the Australian food and beverage industry. And in the aftertaste section, I give you a brief insight, learning or secret of success that I've gleaned from my guest's experience that just might help you in your own job or food business. Today, I'm talking with Krista Watkins. She's the co-founder of Natural Evolution, a range of natural, nutritious, gluten-free superfoods made from banana flour. In this episode, you'll hear how Krista and her husband, Rob Watkins, step-changed their business from banana growing in Walkerman, Queensland, to starting the world's first pharmaceutical-grade banana flower factory. As second-generation farmers, Krista and Rob wanted to diversify and de-risk their business. Like many primary producers, their annual crop return was at the mercy of Mother Nature, the boom and bust supply cycles, and more than 20% of their crop annually was given to livestock feed when their bananas weren't straight enough or long enough or unblemished enough to meet supermarket buying standards. In this episode, you'll hear how one day Rob had a eureka moment of discovery when driving over a bunch of dried bananas with a forklift and saw a puff of banana dust. This discovery transformed their business from a banana farm to a banana flower factory. You'll hear how the combination of Rob's engineering ingenuity and Krista's baking experimentation led this couple to develop a whole range of natural, nutritious, gluten-free superfoods under the brand of Natural Evolution, based on the amazing properties of green banana flower, which they discovered is the richest source of resistant starch in the world. Plus, in this episode, you'll learn how to create more eureka moments of inspiration for your own business to help you generate new product ideas. So welcome to the podcast, Krista. Thanks so much for having me, Susie. It's always good to, let's set the scene first of all for the listeners. Tell me a little bit about what you do and what your business is about. Thank you. So I'm Krista Watkins. I'm the managing director of a company that I founded with my husband called Natural Evolution. And Natural Evolution was founded to try and solve the estimated 500 metric tons of bananas that are wasted every week in North Queensland. And the business has really just evolved from there. And so you weren't always in food production, food manufacturing. Can you take us back to that point where you decided to start this business? Yeah, absolutely. So we were farmers. Uh, my husband was a full-time farmer and I had an education background. And just the large volume of waste that we had of our bananas on our own farm, it really did make us sad because we'd put so much time, money, love and energy into producing this food and to throw it away simply because of how it looked or there was an oversupply on the market really was 
quite heartbreaking for us. So we were always thinking like, what can we do rather than just throwing this away? And really after years of observing the animals just waiting to feast wildly on green bananas, it finally happened. You know, Rob accidentally drove over a cluster of bananas that had been sitting in the sun and and he, he looked at it and most people would think, oh, just a mess or more wasted bananas. He really saw the opportunity there. To him it looked like flour and he was right. It certainly tasted like flour and from there, we were the first company in the world to commercially start producing banana flour. What a terrific and amazing opportunity to find out of a happy accident. Let's talk about this, why you have so much waste of green bananas, because I feel like this is an issue a lot of primary producers struggle with. Why do you need to even throw away so many bananas? Well, it's actually a really quite a complicated issue. So often produce will be grown out of specification, so they'll be grown really, really big or they'll be really, really small. In bananas, you'll get sometimes a double or a triple banana. They don't look the way people would expect them to look. They could also have a a mark on the skin, or they could get a little bit sunburnt from time to time. Or simply put, there could be far too many of them in the marketplace for what our population is currently eating. So all those factors are contributions to why there is so much waste in agriculture and it's certainly become a really popular discussion in the last 12 months. Yeah, we've all seen a lot of media around consumers' preferences and how, you know, should we really be looking and trying to buy the perfect fruit when there's this massive wastage issue being pushed down the chain, particularly to the farmers themselves? Do you have a sense, Krista, what percentage of your banana crop would you have sort of had to discard or or feed to livestock? Yeah, so generally farms have about 20% waste. That's industry standard. There are farmers out there now who are going for zero waste. So they're into finding alternative industries such as the ones that we're creating and using their produce there. But, you know, sometimes farms will have a a week where it's 50% wasted. You know, half the crop they've grown and harvested that week, half of it will have um, no purpose and will simply end up being a problem for the farmer to try and dispose of. And, and, you know, part of the reason why we really developed what we did was because we got hit with two really devastating cyclones within a number of years. And you can't really, in agriculture, you can't really safeguard yourself against Mother Nature. She does what she wants. But if we could have turned our crop that was all on the ground from the cyclones into banana flour, that certainly would have made our business um, a lot more stable because essentially after we cleaned up we were all sitting around for nine months waiting for our crops to grow back so it was challenging and a financial challenge as well at the time yeah that is just heartbreaking when no matter how well you've planned how you've been prepared mother nature strikes so let's talk now about the actual green banana powder and this kind of aha moment that um that rob had what were you thinking? I mean, it's it's a big leap from a smashed banana under, you know, kind of a forklift to I've got a product that could make flour. What were your thoughts when he first shared this with you? Well, I actually, I remember that night. Uh, he, he bust through the door straight into the kitchen and he was shouting, 
taste it, taste it, taste it. It just tastes like flour. And I went, I looked at him and I just thought, oh no, he has, he, he's really gone bananas this time. Like, but uh, I did very carefully taste this crumpled pile of ladyfinger bananas it was at the time. And, and you know what? I was pleasantly surprised. He was right. It did taste like flour. It was wholesome and earthy. So it, it was quite a fascinating night. And boy, do I wish I had Google back in time because that night we were just plagued thinking about green bananas as a flower. And, you know, there was lots of references as green banana peel was for in medicinal kind of use and green bananas used as like a porridge. But there was nothing commercially available as a a green banana flower. And we thought, well, this could be a great way for us to use our bananas that we can't sell every week. And the idea really just evolved from there. Um, There were some very long days of hand peeling bananas, let me tell you. Yeah, let's dive into that because you kind of had a bit of a hint that there was something about these green bananas because I think you mentioned earlier when you would, um, you know, either give them to your livestock or some of the wild wallabies would eat them, they really seemed to like them and enjoy them. So were you thinking at that stage, well, they just must have a great taste. So let's just see if they taste good and we can make this flower. How did you kind of make the next leap to finding out that this green banana flower is almost, well, it is a superfood really, isn't it? Yeah, you're so right. And look, we we were puzzled for quite some time on why the wallabies and the wild animals and and the cattle would want to eat green bananas. They would literally step over the right ones just to eat the green ones. And if you've ever tried a green banana, you would seriously question why anyone or anything would ever want to eat a green banana. They are certainly not very nice. But when we started making them and we sent it to the lab as you do as a food producer you send it for the nutritional testing we had a phone call from the lab actually asking what we'd sent because we had a bit of an inkling that they might be high in starch but what we discovered is that they were actually the richest source of resistant starch ever tested on earth and that didn't mean a whole lot to us that day. Yeah, unpack that for us. What does that mean? Like what's the benefit of starch and resistant starch? So resistant starch is resistant to primary digestion and what it does, it ferments in our gut and it creates food for the good bacteria that lives in our gut. And obviously now there's quite a bit of information coming out about our gut health and how it affects our overall health and well-being. And to discover the richest source of it, wow, it was a real breakthrough. And if Rob hadn't driven over those bananas, it would have never happened. And what did the lab say? I mean, what was their take on this? Were they super excited as well? I think they were a little bit confused at the time because we hadn't told them what we sent. Rob had um, just marked it sample A and sample B. So they were really keen to know exactly what was in these bags. And and what we had sent was a, a ladyfinger banana powder, which has turned out to be a now with our new processing, nearly a 50% resistant starch product. And the other one was a Cavendish banana, which is now up in the high 30% of resistant starch. And nothing else, either genetically modified or natural, has ever come near either of those samples. So the labs confirmed you've got this amazing product, but you have to now make it. I'd imagine handling green bananas is, is quite difficult. What, what did you do next, Krista? How did you get from 
picking and harvesting those bananas to actually getting it into powder? Oh, so we started by hand peeling them. And um, all we were able to do was make a small six kilogram batch a week because it was painstakingly hard. You need 10 kilos of bananas to make one kilo of powder. So peeling all those bananas, it was a tremendous pain on our hands and it was a, a lot of effort and labour for very little yield in return. So Rob started to design processing equipment that obviously wasn't available to help mechanically peel the bananas because that was the biggest pain point. From there, we were able to produce 350 kilos of banana powders a week, but we soon outgrew that facility. We we couldn't imagine that the world would want more than 350 kilos of green banana powder a week, but they did, and we were months behind, so we had to start planning for our big commercial facility, which I'm very proud to say we finished commercialising at the beginning of 2017 and we're easily able to roll out a tonne of product on a single shift. Oh my gosh, I definitely want to talk about that journey as well. So let's let's go back. Rob made the original processing equipment. I get the sense he's a bit of a serial hands-on entrepreneur. He, he's a serial innovator. You just can't stop him. He's always thinking about how to do things differently and, and do things more effectively. So he did design uh, our first pilot plant and he started designing our mega facility that we have here in Walkerman and he has designed the entire process. So we're now able to take a banana to powder in under 10 minutes. And and when you started with that pilot plant, Krista, was that just you and Rob or did you have like engineering staff and food safety experts (laughs) and did you have to find other people to help? No, so it was basically Rob and I. We, We pulled over a few of our staff from the farm. Well, we live in Walkman and no one knew bananas better than us. So at that time, we didn't really need an engineer. We, we kind of drew everything up and had it built to our plan. So I think that's one of the things about living and working on the farm is you're not always in close proximity to qualified experts. So you just have to take the reins and do things for yourself sometimes. That's brilliant. And so now let's talk about that next step up. You mentioned that there was a lot of demand suddenly for banana flour. How were you even telling people about it or were you selling it at that stage? How did people know about it? So we were selling a tiny six kilograms at our family's local cafe and it was just really word of mouth started spreading that way and then it got picked up in a newspaper article and um, before we knew it we thought oh no we better get a Facebook page going here because all these people are ringing up the cafe and the cafe's getting overdone with calls about banana flour and it's taking away from their daily trade because all anyone wants to talk about is banana flour. So yeah we started up our social media accounts and we got a website up very, very quickly to try and start selling. And, and it was so, it was painstaking. People would email us and we would have to issue them invoices. We couldn't even take payments online. So thankfully, we had a lot of really patient customers who'd wait for us to come in out of the paddock every night and send out an invoice so they pay it and have their, their banana flour sent to them. And Krista, what were you having to do on social media? Did people know how to use the flower or the benefits of the flower or were you having to sort of drive that awareness and knowledge? 
Yeah. So back in the beginning, we kind of just put some pages up as a front. So people knew that we existed. I was actually on maternity leave at the time. We just had our first daughter and people were writing and saying they'd heard about it and, you know, they were gluten-free and they wanted to know how to use it. So I thought, oh, it it was something we hadn't even thought about. But that then kind of became my full-time job while I was on maternity leave to figure out the rules and write the rules on how banana flour like to be treated. And I can tell you my cooking has become a lot better since I started that. (laughs) (laughs) So you've stepped up and become not only a social media guru, but also a food technician and coming up with recipes and the the usage directions. (laughs) Definitely trying my best. (laughs) (laughs) With a new baby as well. Always nice to have, you know, multiple challenges at once. Yes. Now, is that the time also that you came up with the name? Were you still sort of going under your uh, banana plantation farm name or when did natural evolution come along? Yeah, we didn't expect things to roll like this. It was it was almost like it was a bit of fun for us to begin with. And it was as we were outgrowing um, our 350 kilo a week facility, we went, you know what, it's time for us to go all in here. Like we're just going to have to focus on making these green banana powders. And I remember the day vividly, we were driving and we were on the Coranda Range having a chat about what are we going to call ourselves? You know, we... We need to stamp out our own identity on this. And we came up with natural evolution because for us it it felt like an evolution of not only ourselves as people but also of our agriculture and, and our farming backgrounds. It was like an evolution, you know, not doing what our parents had always done, but doing something different and something that we really enjoyed. And and for us, it was just the natural progression of it. You know, we were always passionate about trying to do things better in our business and not have so much waste. And we did have a really deep love for the environment. That really has always been dear to our heart, to look after the soil that grows healthy plants to feed humans and animals. So it just made sense for us to call ourselves natural evolution. It's time for a quick break now. When we come back, you'll hear how Krista and Rob Watkins of Natural Evolution scaled up from a hand-operated pilot plant to a commercial-grade flour factory to meet the overwhelming demand for their banana-based products. I'd like to say a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible, the Monash Food Innovation Centre. They can help you fast track and de-risk your new products in the Australian market or export markets like China. Did you know that only one in 10 food and beverage products survive the first year of launch? That means nine out of 10 fail. If you'd like to be one of those businesses that gets it right, then the Monash Food Innovation Center can help. It has cutting edge technologies, product development services, and runs capability workshops to upskill business owners and employees in the art and science of food innovation. Whether you're a food startup or a large corporation, check them out at www.foodinnovationcenter.com and see how they can help grow your business through innovation. Welcome back. 
Today, I'm talking to Krista Watkins from Natural Evolution, and you've heard how she and husband Rob have taken the big step to transform their business, turning wasted green bananas into a highly nutritious, resistant starch superfood flour. And so I asked Krista about how she used this versatile plant-based powder to develop a whole range of new products. Well, we've got two base green banana flowers. We obviously have the Cavendish powder, which we use in all of our own baking lines, and we supply to a lot of baking um, and whole food companies. But we also have our resistant starch grade made from the lady fingers, which we use in supplements ourselves. But we also supply it to pharmaceutical manufacturers and food manufacturers who want to boost the nutrition profile of their products. So from those two bases... It's just phenomenal the amount of products that are able to be created all the way from food to beauty products. We also use all the banana skins here on site. We extract the antioxidants from them and we have our own banana ointment that we make. Along the way, you know, people have heard about what we've been able to do with green bananas and, you know, other farmers have been asking for help and and that's kind of led us to where we are now. We're, oh, goodness, maybe... (laughs) Five business days from a national launch of gold sweet potato flour. It's never been made before in Australia and I'm very happy to tell you that for the last few weeks it's been getting made right here in Walkerman and over the weekend and all of next week there will be thousands of bags getting filled and distributed all over Australia. That's, a, that's amazing. Congratulations and Another big shift. You've, you've stepped away from bananas completely. What was the, the thought behind going after a sweet potato flower? Just hearing the sweet potato farmers and the really hard times they were experiencing with an oversupplied market, essentially. You know, there were growers in some regions of Queensland with 50 metric tonnes of sweet potatoes to each acre that they had no market for. And, And when you think about that, that is just so much beautiful food that I know those farmers would have put time, money, love and energy into producing and and they just had to leave it in their paddock to rot. But even worse than that, they had to spend more money and go and disc it back into the ground to try and get rid of it. So rather than them doing that, we'd been thinking, and and, you know, it's not something that's happened overnight. It's it's been a, a few years in the pipeline and um, fortunately, I was named the 2018 Queensland Rural Woman of the Year this year. And I made it my personal project to try and get on top of this problem with the sweet potatoes. And, and look, Natural Evolution hope that in 12 months, we've given that huge amount of waste a really significant nudge in creating value-added products, not just in our brand, but also supplying other food manufacturers this bulk ingredient that previously wasn't available. That's fantastic. And congratulations on that award. It's so good that you're getting recognition for your efforts in helping the industry in this way. Let's talk about the other products. You've got pre-mixes in there. So I can buy pre-mixes like a banana bread or a pancake and waffle mix or a caribbean cake and a chocolate cake. Are those the fruits of your labor, Krista? Did you come up with those ideas? I'm very lucky. I have a very patient husband. He always has cooked a really mean banana bread. And, you know, we know what it's like having a family and going to work. And by the time you get home and on the weekend, 
there's not always a lot of joy in um, getting a recipe and making it from scratch. So we wanted to be able to provide our customers with just an easy, healthy, quick way of making something for their families. The the five-minute chocolate cake, Rob uh, redesigned the recipe. It was actually based off my grandmother's chocolate cake. And I tell you what, he's done a fabulous job because I just about swear my grandmother had been in the kitchen cooking it. So, yeah, it's it's been a really good, um, really good thing for us, and a, and a great way for us to incorporate, you know, what we love into our business. I have ordered some. I am the ultimate premix <laughs> user, so I'm going to let you know how oh, it goes. Okay, good. Please do. Now, all of these beautiful products come in very gorgeous artwork designs and packaging. Did you have to turn graphic designer as well at this stage? How did you decide on the artwork and the packaging, Krista? So um, when we began, we were in such a rush. We just needed something to put it in and we would buy bulk coffee bags and put a sticker on them. And and that served its purpose, right? We had packaging. And it was after a little while we just thought, you know, the outside of the packaging just didn't really represent Rob or I or what the business is about. So quite literally um, we printed pictures, we took photographs, and we cut all those things out and we stuck them on a piece of paper and we sent it to a graphic designer and said, look, this is how we want it to look. When people pick up our product, we want them to have that same warmth that it is to walk through our banana plantations. And um, I think they did a fabulous job of taking our cutouts and really encapsulating what we are, who we are and where we're from. That's, that's just tropical North Queensland on a packet. It does look like tropical paradise on a packet, I have to say, with those gorgeous bright green banana fronds hanging over around the copy. Now, let's talk about that massive shift you you mentioned earlier, which is when you got to really a full-scale pharmaceutical-grade banana flower factory. That sounds expensive. How did you make that massive shift, Krista? Yeah, well, it was an enormous step and... I really think that we underestimated it. It probably cost us double than what we had anticipated. And I can certainly tell you that when we got all the equipment here and put it all together, not everything worked straight away. It actually took us a solid six to eight months to commission that factory. I mean, keep in mind, it was the first time a factory of this nature had ever been built. And I suppose at the time we were lucky there were a few banks that believed in us and, you know, there were sacrifices that were made. I went back to work as a learning support coordinator to support the family while we were going through this very expensive transition. We were lucky that Oz Industry at the time could see the potential in it and they provided us with a grant to to help build a portion of it. But um, look, it's been a real labour of love and we are really glad that we pursued it and we did it. And was that all off again, Rob's specs? Was he the one, you said the equipment didn't really exist. Was he the one who sort of set that up? And please tell me you employed a mechanical engineer at that stage. <laughs> so we had engineers working on separate projects. So obviously, it's a really highly sensitive processing line because there is quite a bit of intellectual property involved in it. But, but Rob Project managed the whole thing. And really, if he hadn't have done that, people would have just walked away or it would have probably cost us, you know, something ridiculous. 
So um, wouldn't have come to fruition without that just love and passion to see it happen. And I think I read somewhere else too, Krista, you've been very successful in patenting this technology and the way it's made and what prompted you to take that step? Absolutely. I think that when you've invested so much time, money, and really you invest yourself. You really have to protect it, not only for yourself, but for your family as well, because, you know, we've all made significant sacrifices to make sure that this has happened. The best way for us to protect what we do was to patent our process. It is something that the world is looking for, not just for making banana flower products, But the ability that this processing line can take in any fruit or vegetable now and turn it into a shelf-stable powder that has a three-plus-year shelf life, I mean, produce at most can have a few months' shelf life. Naturally, we can give it more than three years, and, and that applies to all fruit and veg. Yeah, definitely something worth protecting because you've done the work and you've put the investment in. Now, after you've got this plant up and running, that six to eight months of commissioning and obviously lots of trial time as well, you're up to now sort of manufacturing, I think it was eight tonnes per week versus your previous 300 kilograms per week. Was there demand to take up this extra production? We've just been so flat out with orders. We've barely had any product in stock for the last 12 months, which is a good problem to have. it. Uh, so we have had to get a bit creative about how we make the most of the current facility that we have. But if we are going to continue trying to solve much of the agricultural wasted food here in Queensland or get solutions in place for other parts of Australia, we, we certainly are looking at building a, another facility, which we've already designed, which will be a five metric tonne per single shift production. So the demand is clearly there. Now, this is making me think I better not expect my banana bread powder to be delivered next week. I'll know to, to wait a bit longer for it. No, no, it will go. Trust me. There's, there's priorities in place. Mail orders must go. Same day, definitely not beyond 24 hours. Awesome. Now, um, who's your favourite distributor? I mean, what sort of retail shops or cafes? Who's picking this up and selling it for you? Well, we love Unique Health Products. When we started to get up to that, 350 kilos a week, we started thinking, oh, it's probably time, you know, we get a distributor if we're going to build this big factory. So I'm really happy that Unique distribute all over Australia for us. We've got a few other like little small stores that we supply to. Woolworths has taken our green banana flour on in their macro bag, which has been great because most people have access to to Woolworths and the health food stores and independent grocers throughout Australia have been great supporters of not only the banana flour, but also our, our starch, protein, banana ointment and all those kind of products. So yeah, we're really blessed to have had so much support uh, from the Australian public. And let's talk also about not content to stay in the food realm. I've seen on your online shop and your website, you have a a beauty care range called Evolve. Tell me what made you step into beauty care, which is quite a high involvement, high risk sort of category. I know, right? It was interesting. So we, we sell quite a bit of product in to Japan. Asian cultures particularly, they really understand and they have they have quite a great love for bananas. 
And um, we had a client there who was really keen on getting the green banana antioxidant infused beauty products. So um, it, it's got a different trade name in Japan, but um, we thought, hey, this stuff is so beautiful. And our, both of our mums just absolutely love the moisturizer. We've been getting a run done for our Australian consumers as well. Great. I've ordered it. I'm going to let you know. (laughs) Now, let's talk a little bit about that export potential. Are you distributing beyond Australia at the moment? And is is that sort of in your future plans as well to export? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that we've been really, really steady with. Obviously, we're based here in Australia. We love Australian agriculture. So we, we really want to make sure we've always got enough product for here in Australia. And when we can, we've been topping up our distributors or, um, bulk customers overseas, but certainly once we build our our bigger facility, we will be heavily pushing sales and and product throughout the rest of the world. I feel like you've achieved what many primary producers want to achieve, which is move up that value chain, get out of that kind of boom and bust cycle. What advice would you have for other primary producers who kind of want to do what you've done? That's a great question. I think it's really important to follow your dreams and um, be really careful about who you accept advice from. You know, we, we do love our friends and our family, but they're not always the most qualified to give us advice. So go out and interview some people and find out if they're the right fit for you and your business before you take their advice um, and make sure they're qualified to give you the advice that you need for you, but also the nature of your business. And just do it and find the right fit for you. Yeah, that, that is terrific advice. I'm thinking of the naysayers you may have faced. Was there a time when people thought that this was maybe not a sensible plan? Oh, definitely. Definitely. We, we walked into one of our main town centres and, and there were definitely people there that thought we had gone bananas. Um, but I suppose it's things like that that really just kind of fuel you to keep going. And um, I'm very pleased to say that I think everyone is is well and truly convinced that we are not bananas. So um, it's been a real journey. And what we know now, if we knew it back then, would we still have done it? Absolutely. We wouldn't have changed a thing. All I can say is it looks like an amazing product. I can't wait to get mine and try them. And, you know, you certainly, as I said, you're doing what a lot of our primary producers to do, which is move up that chain, add some value, future-proof their business more. And I wish you every success in the future. I will be keeping my eye on you. And thanks for sharing your story with us today, Krista. Cheers, Susie. Thank you so much for having me. Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success. Thanks for sticking around. This is the part of the podcast when I think back on my chat with Krista Watkins of Natural Evolution and reflect on something that we can all learn from their family journey from primary producers to food manufacturers. I was so thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to Krista today because she and her husband, Rob, really are the leading lights in the Australian agricultural community because they're doing two things which... I hear repeatedly from primary producers that they want and need to do. Firstly, they're reducing the amount of wasted crops that they're forced to discard or give to livestock annually because of the strict supermarket standards. And secondly, they're value adding to their primary banana crop to get a consistently higher dollar per kilogram return. 
Now, both of these strategies are game changers for primary producers that ensures all the time and effort and resources they put into growing their crops are not wasted. It also provides a more secure and predictable income for growers while adding value back into our Australian food economy as we become higher value food producers. And I've seen the power of these strategies myself. Now, some of you probably already know, I grew up on a family-run vineyard in Yakandanda, Australia, and we grew wine grapes, Chardonnay, Riesling, Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot, and Cabernet Franc grapes. And we harvested these annually to sell to larger wine producers. So for 10 years as grape growers, just like Krista and Rob, my family was at the mercy of the weather and the forces of the market supply and demand. You know, if we didn't get enough rain, then it meant a really low crop and low income that year. Or too much rain meant the grapes got mildew and it was a bad crop and we got low income that year. Even good weather could sometimes cause an oversupply or glut of grapes in the market and you'd still get a low income. To escape this boom and bust cycle, now my parents invested in winemaking equipment. They became winemakers and we built a cellar door on our vineyard. And so annually we would hand make wine and cellar it. So suddenly it didn't matter if we had a bad crop for one year. We had a cellar full of bottled wine ready to sell at a higher price than anything we could have got for our uncrushed wine grapes. Now, one of the greatest challenges when you're trying to add value to primary produce it's sometimes hard to see beyond the obvious product to make. For example, if I grow strawberries, I'll make strawberry jam. Or if I grow oranges, I might be tempted to make orange juice. And look, that approach is completely fine if you want to stay as a local farm gate business or if you can trade on the unique provenance or story of your farm. However, if you want to get into the national or the export markets, the trouble is that usually you're entering a very crowded marketplace with some big established competitors, and you really need a unique and desirable product to have a chance of scalable success. And that's what I see Krista and Rob of Natural Evolution have done so well. They've uncovered a unique new product type, a high-resistant starch banana flour, and more recently, sweet potato flour. And they've clearly demonstrated its versatility by making a whole range of highly appealing products from gluten-free baking mixes, nutritional supplements, and even beauty care products. So what does this all mean for you? Well, today, I want to focus on Rob's Eureka moment and tell you how you can create one of these for yourself. Because this is the art of making fresh connections. That is, seeing two completely unrelated things and putting them together to come up with a new product idea. Rob did this when he accidentally ran over some dried bananas and he saw that puff of dust, which he thought looked like flour. And he immediately made the connection that this could be a new product idea. In fact, this could help reduce their green banana waste. So I'm going to bust that myth that these eureka moments are magical or mystical. In fact, they're a way of thinking and they can be learnt. Now, some people like Rob and Krista just naturally do this type of creative thinking. They can connect seemingly unrelated stimulus and turn them into a new product idea. But most people need some prompt to encourage them to think this way. So I'm going to teach you a creative hack that will help you do this. 
Now, a creative hack is simply a shortcut. It makes things easier and faster. And creative hacks force you to think in a way that makes fresh connections that you might not normally make. Creative hacks are brilliant for problem solving because they enable you to see familiar things in a new light and find previously undetected patterns and connections that will lead you to new product ideas. So today's creative hack is called Be a Rebel. Now, this creative hack can make you feel uncomfortable because it challenges everything you know about your current products, market, or category. And that's a good thing. Creative thinking is often about feeling comfortably lost in order to arrive at an unknown and new destination. So Be a Rebel is used to encourage you to actively reverse the current status quo of a certain crop you might grow or product you make or even a category you're interested in entering. And here's how you do it. Simply get a piece of paper and draw three columns on it. And at the top of each of the different columns, add these headings. To the first, rules of your challenge. In this case, it's going to be the rules of bananas. That's what we're going to focus on. In the next column, write the heading, break them. And the last column, the heading, new ideas. Now, go back to that first column again. We're going to write down everything about our innovation challenge as it currently exists. In other words, all the rules by which the product or the category we're focusing on operate. So in this case, we're going to write down everything about bananas and how they normally are. Then in the next column, under the break them heading, we're going to write down all the ways we could be rebels and do the opposite of what the rules are. And finally, we're going to use that break them list as inspiration to come up with new product ideas in the third column. This is sounding probably a bit tricky and it's hard to follow just on audio. So let me walk you through an example. Let's imagine we are banana growers, just like Krista and Rob, and we wanted to use our crop and come up with some new product ideas. My creative thinking using Be A Rebel might follow something like this. What are some of the rules of bananas? Well, they're soft. I'd write that in the first column. They're yellow. Bananas are sweet. And people usually eat bananas. Those are just four simple rules I came up with right then off the top of my head. So now let's go back and break them. Well, what if bananas weren't soft? What if they were hard, dried, squishy, liquid, powdery? Well, then I could get to new product ideas about some sort of tablets, banana smoothies, banana yogurt, banana jelly, banana-based cereals that were crunchy, or even, like Christian and Rob, banana flour. Let's go back to the rule about bananas being yellow. Well, what if they weren't? Let's break that rule and be a rebel. What if bananas were black, red, purple, or multicolored like a rainbow? Could that get me to a new innovative product idea? What if bananas weren't sweet? Let's break that rule. What if instead they were savory or spicy or chilly? Could we come up with a savory banana mash? Could we come up with banana curries? or different meal solutions. This might be how somebody came up with the idea of salted caramel, by the way. And lastly, that final rule. Well, people eat bananas. Well, what if they didn't? What if other things did, like animals? Could we make nutritional supplements for pets from bananas? 
So this was just a quick example that shows you, you can get to some really new product ideas that are often radical and impossible. But the benefit is that it can also get you to something very breakthrough. That just might be what you need to start up a new business. Just try Googling mango surfboard wax or carrot concrete or just like we've been talking about today, green banana flower, if you still don't believe me. For now, when you do this exercise, you've really got to challenge yourself to be as free thinking and as unconstrained as possible. Now, later on, of course, you will review and critique and make these ideas more feasible. Because just remember, this moment of inspiration is the start of your food entrepreneur journey. The hard work of commercialization follows, and it usually requires years of perseverance and persistence, as we've seen with Kristen Robb's business, to turn it into a feasible and commercial success. If you'd like to know a little bit more about how to be a rebel or learn some more creative hacks, you can just go to page 107 in my book. It's called Innovation Feast, Create New Product Ideas to Feed Your Hungry Business. It's available on Amazon, Book Depository or Booktopia, or you can go to my website and buy it there at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au. Look, it's a really easy read. It's a hands-on resource book to help you come up with new product ideas. Well, that's it for episode 14. I'd like to thank my guest today, Krista Watkins of Natural Evolution, for sharing her inspiring business transformation journey with us. If you'd like to learn more about Natural Evolution products, you can do so at www.naturalevolutionfoods.com.au and I will be sure to include their other social media links in the episode 14 show notes. Thank you so much again for listening. If you like the podcast, please share it with a friend and do join me next time to eat, drink and innovate. Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from. 